Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Good to have you with us as uh, we teach here and our campus is watched via video and people listen and watch all over the world our podcast. It's kind of a fun thing. I get comments from people all over the place. Uh, we'll get uh, emails from people other side of the world say, oh, I just love your Wednesday night Bible studies or this, that, and the other. And so this church is touching a lot of people through the miracle of technology. We're so glad that you are with us. We are in Isaiah... And uh, we're kind of doing um, many uh, summaries of these uh, prophets. We're not doing an exhaustive study by any way, shape, or form. But uh, we are kind of in an exhaustive part of Isaiah. We get to about chapter, uh, you know, 55, 53. Um, It's getting very, very uh, amazing, some of the stuff that uh, is in here. And uh, we left it off at at chapter 56, so we're kind of doing this verse by verse right now uh, in this section of Isaiah. And we left off at at verse uh, 5 last week, um, talking about, you know, on the one hand the prophet would warn about the judgment that's coming, then on the other hand he'd say warm and fuzzy things, you know, God will not forsake you, he will be there, he will restore us, but he's going to kick your butt, but fear not and back and forth and uh he's kind of in this thing of uh, encouraging them a little bit um uh, (laughs) we back up to verse four is where we left it off and for this is what the lord says to the eunuchs who keep my sabbath uh a lot of these guys were taken into captivity and they made eunuchs out of them um he says who those who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant i will give uh, within my temple and its walls, a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. No matter what your circumstance, uh, God can still bring you great life, great joy, great blessings. Um, your circumstances do not limit God. Somebody say amen. That's really what he's saying. You know, say, so, well, I, I'll never have children. Well, I got, I got something for you better than children, God says. I'm going to bless you and you're going to greatly succeed. He says, I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Uh, and then, if, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship Him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Does anybody know who in the New Testament quoted that verse? Jesus. I guess there's somebody over there. Uh, remember when Jesus, you can actually see it in, over in Matthew, the 21st chapter. Um, verse, where is it? Verse 12. Yeah, there it is. This, this is where uh, Jesus came into the temple. And there were people there that were uh, selling stuff and, you know, the whole uh, money changers and stuff. They kind of were making a business uh, opportunity out of church. And Jesus got really mad and took a whip, one of the uh, accounts tells us, and drove people out. You guys are familiar with this story, right? Well, when he does this, he quotes this verse. So we, we see it in uh, Matthew 21:12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He made quite a mess. I mean, this was, this was a big deal. Not exactly the way to win friends. 
busting up all their stuff. But that's what he did. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. He's quoting from Isaiah. Again, Isaiah had a huge influence uh, and is one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. It's amazing how many times Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament. So anyway, that's where it says, for my house will be called, back in Isaiah, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus knew this verse and quoted this to these people when he rebuked them for making church about something other than uh, prayer uh, and seeking God. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So there's going to be this, you know, butt kicking coming, but be encouraged. He's prophesying that God will send this great uh, renewal. Then he switches tone again and he starts kicking their butts again. We pick it up at verse 9. Come, all you beasts of the field, come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. In other words, they're good for nothing. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites that never have enough. These are accusations against wicked people. And one of the signs, and something we need to be careful as Christians, one of the signs of uh, someone who is not with God or as wicked as the Bible would say, running from God in their lives, is they are never satisfied. They are never satisfied. They can never have enough. Nothing is, there's not enough stuff uh, for them. Um, we are all shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. Each seeks his own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let us get our fill of beer. Tomorrow will be like today or far, even far better. We can't have enough. We need more. Let's get drunk. Let's part. Let's do whatever. And again, even as believers, we need to be careful about that. Let me uh, jump back over to the New Testament with you. Philippians. Philippians. Chapter 4. Uh, chapter Philippians 4.13 is a very famous verse in the New Testament. It says, where I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, or I can do all things through Christ. Uh, this translation says I can do everything through him, talking about Christ, who gives me strength. We've all heard this a million times, right? And it's often quoted in the context as, as I can overcome my circumstances. But it's really, when they quote it that way, it's really not in context. He's not saying I can overcome my, con- my circumstances. What he says is I can be satisfied in my circumstances. How do you know that? Back up and see what he says just before this. Verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Have you, anybody know what that's like? You ever had lots and then had nothing? I have had lots and I've had nothing. I got to tell you, I vote for the lots. <laughs> I like the lots a lot better than the nothing. All right? I will confess freely to all of you. And I'm sure everybody here would agree with that. But he says, I I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. My circumstances do not determine me. They do not determine my joy. I have peace in the midst of the storm. I don't have to have calm around me for to be, be calm. Do you hear what I'm saying? You know, when Jesus calmed the storm and all these guys, oh, they were so glad that he calmed the storm. And these were seasoned fishermen all their lives. These weren't a bunch of girly men like me out there in my little boat for the weekend, you know, freaking out because it's raining. Ah! 
You know what I'm saying? These guys knew the water. They'd been through all this. They were scared to death, the Bible says. And Jesus got up and said, you bunch of wusses. Bunch of girls. What's the matter with you? Now, seriously, these guys knew waters. They knew death threatening. Jesus yells at them. Then he turns around to the wind and says, knock it off. And the wind just. And all the apostles went. Whoa, that's cool, you know. But the miracle wasn't really that Jesus could calm the seas. The miracle was that in the midst of all those raging seas, Jesus was calm. Somebody say amen. amen. See, it's not about your circumstances. At some point, it is about your circumstances where you can pray and trust God to change your circumstances, to be blessed and to succeed and push by your stuff. But at some level, We've got to have this sense that I don't need my circumstances to be a certain way for me to be happy. Are you hearing me? In fact, about the only way you'll ever get real miracles in your life is when at some level you really don't care. As long as you desperately have to have something change before you can be happy. What's the matter? I'm just miserable. <laughs> <laughs> my cat is missing I don't know what I'm gonna do I think I'll end it all right now God why won't he why won't God answer my prayer to bring my cat home because dude you're way too far into your cat are you hearing me now fill in the blank it could be your health it could be this it could be that all important things I get it but you start making an idol out of other things remember thou shalt have no other gods before me God is not going to give you something that's more important to you than God. Now you can expect God to answer your prayers. You can expect God to bless your life. I do. That's I pray those prayers. I again, nothing, something. I pray for something. You know, I, I don't like the the nothing version of life. But I've been in the nothing version of life, and you know what? I was still full of joy. I mean, it was still kind of sucked. You know, I mean, you, you hate you hated it, but. Because <laughs> nobody likes, you know what I'm saying? But man, when my wife and I got married, we had nothing. No, we had to look up to see something. We had, we had to look up and say, man, I'm ho- I hope I'm poor someday. Because look at how those cats live. We had nothing. I'm not exaggerating. Of course, we did it by design. We were hippies, you know. We, we got, do you know what our first house was when we got married? A tent. It was an 8 by 10 tent. For a year. We lived in an 8 by 10 tent for a year. Ask my wife about it. We got some funny stories, man. She had to get up on some winter mornings and light a candle so she could melt off the ice so she could open up the zipper to get out. We were poor. We had jack squat. We didn't even have jack squat. We were hoping for jack and squat. But you know what? I don't look back in those days as misery. I don't, in fact, we look back and we, we just remember smiling. We remember being in love with each other. We remember enjoying Jesus. God was blessing us. We were involved in ministry. We're, we were hippies, basically. But we were going out witnessing and having all these cool experiences. Some of the greatest answers and miracles in my life were during those times. We basically lived like that at some level for five years before we became semi-normal. <laughs> these were great blessings, times in our lives, you know. Now, do I want to go back? Not really. But could I? Yeah. So what are you going to do, Pastor? You have nothing. I don't know. It's going to be like our honeymoon. 
You know, that was pretty cool. So, I mean, at some level, you, you, you can't let things suck the life out of you. You got to be content. Paul says, I've learned the secret. Some of y'all haven't learned the secret. A lot of people listen to me right on my video. You have not learned the secret of life. What's the secret, pastor? To be able to just speak to these mountains and have them on the roof? No, no, that's a part of it. I get it. There is a thing in the Bible that talks about changing your circumstances. But the real secret to being able to do that is you don't care if it doesn't move. Your joy isn't tied to your circumstances. Your peace doesn't come as a result of your circumstances. When the doctor, you've heard me tell this story, when the doctor told us, you know, Deb had cancer the first time. She's had two different cancers, totally unrelated. Not the kind of story you want to hear. You know? I mean, I, you know, at first I just, <laughs> you know, I, I always give myself a good 24 hours to freak out on anything. I, I cut myself some slack. But I know I can't stay there. I can't stay there. Why? Because God, that's not what moves God. You don't get your miracles by freaking out. You don't get your miracles by being afraid of your circumstances. You stay afraid of your circumstances, you'll be a victim of the devil your whole life. About 24 hours later, I shook that thing off. We're standing in faith. We're praising God. Say, how do you get there? Because we didn't care if everything went wrong. We're still going to trust God. Having much or little. I remember the doctors yelling at us. They'd come and tell us, you know, this is very serious. We're smiling. I don't think you're taking this seriously. I'm telling them, tell us. Family would yell at us. You're not taking this seriously enough because they wanted us to freak. Because we're laughing and giggling and stuff. And doctor says, you're not taking this seriously enough. He says, no, we get it. Dead. <laughs> what do you want us to do? What's the worst thing that can happen to you as a believer in Jesus Christ? You die and go to heaven. <laughs> we're afraid of this? Nobody wants to die. I don't want to die because I'm a wuss. You know, I, I get a cold. I think I'm dying. <laughs> you know, I, just, I mean, I get it. Nobody likes to suffer. But what's the worst that can happen to us? We get ushered into the presence of Almighty God. This we fear? Whom shall I fear? Nobody. See, you start understanding what happens as a believer. You quit being afraid of all your stuff. Now, because we got into a place where we were not afraid of what would come at us. We were able to step out of fear into faith. And now we're trusting God. And we're quoting the Bible. And we're not doing it like this. <laughs> we're doing it with confidence. Why? Because we're not afraid. It's like the three Hebrew children. Remember the three Hebrew children? They're getting ready to say, you got to bow down and worship me. Nebuchadnezzar, the king says, you got to worship me. They said, we ain't worshiping you. Well, then I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. That would get my attention. You know what I'm saying? I don't go in a fiery furnace. I mean, I like warm temperatures and all, being Puerto Rican, but that, that ain't, that's a little too warm for me. I said, no, we're not going to worship you. And they made this comment. He says, our God is able to deliver us. See, they hear a lot of faith preachers will preach that verse. Our God is able to deliver us. We're standing faith because God are. But that wasn't everything they said. What they said is this. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not. 
We will not bend. We will not bow. We will not be afraid. In other words, if we fry like french fries, the answer is still... They weren't afraid. They weren't freaking out. They weren't petting. Look at the fire. Just, couldn't we worship them a little bit? What are we doing here? They, they weren't. I'm telling you. These guys. I'm sure pretty much figured they were going to fry. Wouldn't you think? If you're getting ready to throw it. You know, this is pretty much it. Our God is able to deliver. But even if he doesn't. We don't care. We will not bend. We will not bow. We will not serve your gods. Took them and threw them in the fiery furnace. And they're walking around. They're walking around. They're going like, check it out. It's like the Bahamas, man. This is all right. <laughs> and the king got so mad, they kept jacking up the fire. Kept getting, I don't know why I'm preaching this. That's nothing to do with it. But uh, preaching this. And, and it got hotter and hotter. And to the point that the guys who were trying to stoke the fire, they were dying. They would be consumed by the heat. It was getting so hot because he could see them still walking around. And they was freaking them out. Finally, the king looks in, and there's four guys walking around. He says, didn't we throw in three cats? Yeah. There's a fourth cat walking around in there. And he looks like the son of God. You know who it was? It was the son of God. What a great miracle. Now, we all celebrate that. It's great, but you know, don't... I was sharing with a sweet lady. She's here, but I won't point her out. But, uh, you know, don't freak out when... You get in a situation where you need miracles. You've heard me say this many times. It's because you don't get miracles until you need miracles. Right? Some of you are just in horrible circumstances. And then when you get in there, you absolutely freak out. You panic. You cry. You come unglued. And you've got to learn the secret. What's the secret? I don't care what happens out here. Because I will be calm in here. And when you get calm in here, that's when you can change out here. But Pastor, what if out here doesn't change? You don't care. Does this make any sense to anybody? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, so anyway, he picks it up, chapter 57, verse 1. Talking about the people who are never satisfied. Then he says, he says, the righteous perish. You know what that means? They die. Good people die. No one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away. Good guys, really good guys are taken away. Also a euphemism for dying. And no one understands. That the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Have you ever wondered why some really good people die? Have you ever wondered why someone so good and sweet would die at such a young age? And oftentimes people start questioning God. God, why would you do that? God, here's your answer right there. Sometimes God lets really good people die to spare them from evil. For those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. Again, we're so afraid of something that is so incomprehensibly wonderful. If we really, and and, and I, I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a man like everybody else, but If we really understood the peace and the joy that is awaiting those who put their faith in Christ, we would all be in a hurry to die. Seriously. But, you know, I'm like everybody. You know, I'm like you. I mean, I don't want to die. No one wants to die. I don't want to, like, even get sick. 
But uh, death for the Christian is not a horrible, terrible thing. It's home. It's free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm free at last. Somebody say amen. No more pain. No more heartache. No more disappointment. No more temptations. No more struggles. Just peace in the presence of a loving, eternal God. Oh, yeah. But you... Come here, you sons of a sorceress, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes. Now, I don't know if you're quite catching this, but he is really insulting them. He basically called them a bunch, a bunch of sons of whores. Whoa, that's the kind of thing preachers don't normally say. Get a few people walking out of the church, you do that. I mean, it's the equivalent of we use the B word, you son of a, you know what I'm talking about. He's basically calling all of them that. He's insulting them. Remember, I tell you, he goes from the inner face to the warm and fuzzy to the inner face. Now he's back in there in your face because of their sins. Come here, you sons of a sorcerer, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes. Insulting their mothers, man. You just insulted my mama. I kill you. Insult my mama. What am I doing? I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> my mother bless her heart she's in assisted living thing over there and uh, she cusses me out from time to time just for the fun of it yeah. but she, she does it in Spanish you know you know as if God can't tell <laughs> so she cuss and, and, and the proper way to cuss someone else you cuss out their moms right so she's like cussing me out she, first of all I say mom God understands Spanish she goes, oh yeah, I guess I never thought of that. You know, I, she would never do it in English. I've never heard my mother say it. But in Spanish, she'd tear me up, man. You blankety blank, son of a blank. Insult my mother. And I go, you are my mother. She goes, oh yeah, I never thought of that. You know, I mean, it's just, I am rambling like an idiot tonight. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so he insults them, insults their mamas and says, who are you mocking? Mocking? Whom, at whom do you sneer and stick out your tongue? <laughs> Are you not a brood of rebels, the offspring of liars? Now he's insulting mamas and daddies. You burn with lusts. Now remember, and I was trying to point this out to you over and over again as we were going through Kings and we would see these times when God would bring such destruction and you know, we saw some horrible things and people often say, and the old said, why would God kill all those people? Or why would he send people to get or send these horrible things? And you have to understand, these people were incomprehensibly wicked. These are not like your normal Americans, and we're bad enough as it is. Okay? I highly doubt that God would have ever brought any of these judgments if the people of these days were like your typical, even heathen, here in the United States of America, who's trying to be a nice guy and working, doing his job, paying his taxes and bills and feeding his family, you know what I mean? It's not likely, and every once in a while you hear somebody say, you know, God's going to destroy America like he's destroyed all the nations. And I go, ah, you know, I don't know that it's these people who got these huge destructions that came upon them were wicked at a level we can't even begin to comprehend. They were completely out of control, completely violent, completely immoral. 
They would sacrifice their own children to these gods and goddesses. They had sex freely with everybody and anything that moved and stuff. And They were out of control. The, the level of their perversions, violence, and decadence is difficult for us even to comprehend. And when this nation of Israel would go bad and God's talking about this judgment, it's because they're so bad. You know, we can't, it's hard to relate to. But man, it's, you know, it's, it's nasty stuff. You burn with lust among the oaks and under every spreading tree. You sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crags. The idols among the smooth stones of the ravine are, are, ravines are your portion. They are your lot. Yes, to them you've poured out drink offerings and offered grain sacrifice. They're worshiping these stupid things they made with their own hands. In the light of these, should I relent? You have made your bed on high on a high and lofty hill. You went up there to offer your sacrifices. Behind your doors and your doorposts, you've put your pagan symbols. Forsaking me, you've uncovered your bed. You've climbed into it, opened it wide, and made a pact with those whose beds you love, who looked on their nakedness. Now, anybody's uncomfortable with that, wait till we get to Ezekiel. When we get to Ezekiel, I will literally warn you to get your children out of here if you got children because Ezekiel talked in such gross you have when you get it you will not believe it gross sexual terms in rebuking the nation it is off the charts and it's easy to assume that this is not God talking this is the prophet talking inspired by God when it comes to Ezekiel it's God speaking through Ezekiel in the first person it is God using these incredibly gross sexual references that are off the charts. Wait till we get there. It'll be a shocker. Which is really interesting when you consider so many Christians historically are so afraid to talk about sex in church. Apparently God didn't have any such problem. Are you hearing me? That I mean, makes no sense. The Bible is grossly sexual. And wait till we're after, well, I'll just... Stay tuned. You don't want to miss Ezekiel, man, because it'll just like, you'll go. I mean, some of you are going to be embarrassed. I'm telling you, it is, it is gross. Nasty gross. I, I'm dying to tell you, but I just, I'm trying to, trying to behave myself here. But I mean, this is, wait till you read this stuff. It's like, who wrote this? You know, it's, it's, this is nothing. Talking about them climbing in their beds and wanting to look at nakedness and you went to Molech, which was a god of the time, with olive oil and increased your perfumes. You sent your ambassadors far away. You descended to the grave itself. You were wearied by all your ways, but you would not say it is hopeless. You found renewal in your strengths, and so you did not faint. They wouldn't give up. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have been false to me and have neither remembered me nor pondered this in your hearts? Is it not because I have long been silent that you do not fear me? I mean, what he's really saying here is God has withheld his hand of judgment for a long time. God's patience, and, and I did preach this, you know, some months ago when we were talking about how patient God was through all this. To encourage some of you who stumble and fall and make mistakes, you think God's mad at you. You think God's going to kill you or wants to send you to hell because you keep kicking your neighbor's dog or, you know, keep cussing when you get mad. or Oh, God, I'm going to save you by now. Trust me. God is amazingly 
patient. Now, should you do those things? No, you shouldn't. But yeah, trust me, you are not freaking out God. God is patient to a level that is. If I was God, I'd have killed them all a long time ago. He waited until it was just off the charts. And even then, at the last second, if a king would cry out to him in the right way, he'd go, okay, I won't do it. Remember when we, when we were reading this? It's, it's real stunning. As wicked as they were, God was so willing to forgive. But now he's saying, you know, you guys are so bad. And is it because I've been so silent? Because, you know, I haven't come and jerked the slack out of you? I will expose your righteousness and your works. And they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But the man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. Then he gets warm and fuzzy again. <laughs> it's like, like, I'm so nice. I'm going to kill you, but I love you. But I'm going to kill you. I mean, he's just like, wow, real intense. So now he gets warm and fuzzy again. And he starts to encourage those who have a contrite heart. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. So God is saying, you know, I am God. I live in an incredibly high, powerful place. But I also live with a person who is very humble in his heart. Is that an amazing thing? To revive the spirit of the lowly. To revive the heart of the contrite. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing here. I mean, something that we just want to, even as believers uh, in Christ, and, and obviously we're in a different place than these people were at so many levels. But even as believers, we, we need to be careful that we don't let our hearts get hard. Paul wrote... In, in Hebrews, assuming Paul wrote Hebrews, nobody really knows who wrote Hebrews, but the assumption is Paul. But he would warn them, he says, and he would quote some of these old things in the Old Testament. He says, man, be careful. Don't be like these people. Don't let your heart get hard. Don't let your heart get hard. It's easy as we go along in life, as we get our eyes off of Jesus, and, and you have to deal with everyday life, and we all do this. It's not like we all sit and pray and Worship God all day long. That'd be cool, but you know, that's not practical. We got to do our jobs and everything else that we got to do. And sometimes we get so caught up in life, we kind of forget God becomes very peripheral to us, and then our hearts can start to get hard, we get stubborn. You know, make a determination, determination in your heart to stay soft hearted. Even when you make mistakes, uh, even in your arguments with people, you know, it's amazing how many people. Uh, have such a difficult time. It wouldn't surprise me, some of you sitting here struggle with this. It's amazing to me how many people have a hard time saying two words. I'm sorry. They can't say it. I mean, it's like hell will freeze over before they'll say, I'm sorry. Some of you go at it with each other, you and your spouses. You're just all mad and yelling and screaming at each other. Of course, you're just convinced you're the righteous holy one. If he wasn't so demon-possessed, we'd have a great marriage, praise God. (laughs) But at the end of the day, there's probably both transgressions going here. You know, my marriage conferences, I end my marriage conference very very simply by just having couples stand up, look at each other, and say they're sorry to each other. 
uh, it's amazing how often I'll hear somebody say to me, and these are Christian people, that in 25 years of marriage, that's the first time I've ever heard my spouse utter the words, I'm sorry. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? I have those phrases rehearsed at a very high level. (laughs) She just looks at me, I'm sorry, man. I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. You can't be sorry. You don't even know what you did yet. I know, but I'm sorry already, you know. I mean, come on. Don't be so stiff-headed. You're that afraid to admit maybe you did something wrong? And some of you, I know you're terrified of it. I don't know why. I don't some of y'all were dropped on your heads when you're babies or something. I don't know what the deal is. Or, uh, you know, that's the funny version. The reality is some of you were, were borderline abused as children. Your parents always told you you're a loser. Your grandparents told you you're a loser. Your uncles and aunts are nothing but a loser. You're stupid and you'll never amount to anything. It's easy to grow up thinking I, I can never admit I'm wrong. It's a way of protecting yourself. But So I, I can understand why some of you might feel that way because of the way you were brought up. But listen, as a believer in Jesus, you want to keep a soft heart. Why? Because God says, I live in heaven and with him who is of a soft heart. Keep a soft heart. Don't, don't be so arrogant. Don't, you know, and I get it. We all get mad. I get, you don't think I don't get mad? I'm one of the biggest jerks I know. You know. It doesn't make it right, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'd love to tell you I'm a holy man who never has any problems, never loses my temper. But God would kill me right here, you know. I mean, I get mad. I be a big, fat, stinking jerk. Ask my red-headed wife. No, don't ask her. Don't ask her. But, and that's, you know, it's okay. It's, it's not the end of the world. You get mad and everybody. But at some point, you've got to stop. And if you've realized you went over the line, you have got to say, I'm sorry. I went over the line. I know I shouldn't have gone over the line. You make me crazy. Even with your kids. You ever have your kids drive you crazy? Or you just you had visions of just putting the pillow just right over their little faces and just holding it. Just... Have you ever lost it with your kids? And you know you lost it with your kids? First of all, you shouldn't, but we've all done I've done it. Ask my kids if I've ever apologized to them. I'll tell you I have. Why? Because they just they drove me so crazy. I just lose it. And after I calm down, I just, uh, you know, you start realizing the Holy Spirit convicts you, you know, hey, you, you went over the line. And you got to go to him and say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have been that way. You, you know, and, and that's not a sign of weakness. That's being a man, you know, to be able to admit, hey, I'm, I'm, not, the, I'm not the perfect thing. You know, I wouldn't have gotten so mad if you didn't drive me so crazy. But I am sorry. <laughs> for losing it. Okay? You know, don't don't be afraid of your humanity. We we all struggle. We we trip, we fall, we make mistakes. Uh, but you've got to keep in a place where you can easily say, you know, you were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Some of the hardest words in the world for some people. You were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I hate doing it. I've I've even done with people I don't even know. You know, some idiot moron telemarketing call or something. You ever have these guys call you? And I just lose it with some of these people because they make me crazy. 
And I, I just, you know, I'm having a bad day. Again, I'm sorry to break your image of my holiness, but, you know, make me so mad and I just go off on them and hang up. And then the Holy Spirit comes talking to me. I go, oh, man, leave me alone, man. <laughs> God starts saying, you know, the Lord, does, you know, it's like God doesn't even have to say anything to me. He just looks at me in a certain way. You can feel it. You know what I'm saying? You just get a feeling without hearing anything. You just know he's looking at you going. And I call back to company. Yeah, there's a guy who just called me. His name was John. Yeah, they find him and he comes on and says, hey, I was, like, I was just yelling at you. Yeah. Hey, man, I just, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I was over the line. I shouldn't have done that. It's pretty shocking to them. I don't think I get a lot of those phone calls. I don't like making them. You know, I try to behave myself more so I don't have to do those things. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't like saying I'm sorry, but I got to go there. And don't be so obstinate. Don't be so stiff. Don't be so hard-hearted, man. We need to be people who are soft-hearted that can come before God, admit our mistakes, come before our families, admit our mistakes, our spouse, our children, our friends, people we work with. You know, I've had to apologize to people in the office because I was a big, fat, stinking jerk about something. I don't know. You know, we all have our days. I got to go say, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have been that way, you know. Well, I don't have to do that. I'm the boss. I'm the boss, man. I sign your checks. I don't got to say, I'm sorry to you. It's a privilege for you to see me every day. joy for you. You know how many people wish they could work in this organization? I mean, some of those, not the privilege, but I mean, how many people would, they'd love it. I can ask all I can ask by somebody today, man, if I get it, is there an opportunity I can come work for you? I'd love, love to work for you. Or I smile thinking, yeah, that's because you don't know me. <laughs> I could be arrogant and stuff like that, but I, I can't go there. I can't. When I know I was wrong, I, I got to come to him and say, you know, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done Just stay in a place of humility. Stay in a place of softness. Because if you can stay soft here, God can keep speaking to you. You know, even though it's humility. You know, say, well, it's so humiliating. Yeah, it's called humbling yourself. The Bible says, if you will humble yourself, God will lift you up. And I, I would rather have God lift me up than me try to lift myself up. Because as high as you think you can lift yourself up, it's nothing compared to what God will do to you. If you will stay in a humble place, God use me, bless my life, help me make a difference in the world. You'll be surprised at what levels God can lift people up. And when God does it, it's, it's cool. And you look around, just you're kind of, you know, you don't even know how you got there. Because God does it. But you can't get there if you don't keep a soft, humble heart. We'll end there. And then we'll pick it up again. Next week. Now, next week we get into this thing of, uh, you know, he, he starts talking about fasting next week, which I, I hate fasting because I, <laughs> I love to eat. But, uh, um, but it's real interesting how he talks about, in essence, phony religion versus real religion. You see, phony religion can go through the motions, but it's still phony. He starts talking about these people who would fast. I don't like to fast. I hate fasting. I, I do it, but I hate it. But these people would fast, not eat anything, and pray and do. All, but God says it's just phony because they were they were plastic. We'll talk about. I'll go cycle. I'm sure next week on that whole deal. But you know, 
as Christians, man, let's not live in Phonyville. I hate plastic religion. Anybody see plastic religion? Anybody grow up in plastic religion? Man, they talk one way, but they walk another way. You know, we Christians are famous for that. We strain at the gnat. We swallow the camel. Our lives are a disaster, but we just get all crazy about little things, little religious things we think are so important that aren't really all that important. Isaiah talks about that kind of stuff next week, and we'll pick it up then. Bye-bye.